Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey. And with us today, a special episode featuring Mr. John Goins, head coach of the Bay Como Dracar of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. With me as well today, Danny Heath of Project Hockey. And I appreciate you taking the lead on trying to introduce this guy and, and saying his, his team name and all that stuff because it's tough. But I was I was super excited for this episode. Uh, he talked a lot about um, some different development stuff, and what I really enjoyed most was just how he took things from all different sports. Like he talked about Pete Carroll, he talked about doing free play, and then he talked about TJ Oshie, but not in the sense of him scoring goals, but TJ Oshie and kind of the D zone stuff. And so I enjoyed that, and I'm excited for this episode. What did you enjoy, Coach? You know, something that stood out for me was his uh, when we dove into his mentorship program that he instilled into his uh, longtime, very successful AAA program and how they're working on that in uh, in Bay Como as well, where he was pairing younger players up with older players and um, levels higher. And he kind of talked through some of the specifics of that and, and some of the benefits that translated into his team and um, how kind of a, what I, I see as a, a, a pretty unique program that he had in place in that uh in in his triple a team uh and i'm curious to see what what happens over the next couple seasons in bay como but i think that's a really cool little piece so pay attention to that when when we get to that in the episode and um maybe draw some of that uh that experience and success that he's had with that program into your own program so i, I think it's a cool piece for sure before we jump into this thing make sure you hit the like button make sure you hit that subscribe button shoot us any questions uh we're doing weekly newsletter so make sure you jump on that and uh anything i'm missing or should we get into this one coach i say let's get into it let's go danny get us fired up give us a good let's go here we go here we go let's go this interview was brought to you by our friends at hockeywolf.com if you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does you need to visit hockeywolf.com today hockey wolf has physical locations in montana and washington state But if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F dot com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Hailing from Il Bazaar, Quebec, Canada, he has been coaching throughout all levels of minor hockey for the last 27 years, including 10 years leading the Lac St. Louis Lions, one of Canada's top midget AAA programs. He holds the midget AAA league record for the most playoff wins at 75 and has coached 25 NHL draft picks during his minor hockey career. Let's go. He is currently heading into his second season as head coach of the Bay Como Dracar in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. John Goins, welcome to the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for coming how many, on here. How today. many, uh, how many mispronounces did I have in that intro? Not too bad. Not too bad. You, you you're very passable. <laughs> All right, acceptable heater. I'll take it. Nice, nice. Well, John, let's jump right into it, man. Look, uh, I would love to learn if you could give us a little bit of a background. I know you're you're coaching uh, head coach in the Quebec Major Junior League right now, but can you give us uh, walk us through a little bit of your background and how you you know your hockey coming up and then uh and then kind of how you got first got into coaching and and go from there yeah um it's pretty pretty simple i'm the oldest of four four brothers um paul ben nick all brothers my youngest brother actually played in the queue for three years um and my dad you know like my dad was a hockey writer he wrote 12 hockey books uh he edited and worked on some other hockey books uh was a journalist from a young age covered the olympics uh, covered political stuff, um, sports radio, all that type of stuff in Montreal. Um, so sports were at the forefront of what we did on a daily basis. Like we weren't big into toys. It was, didn't matter what the, what the weather was like. It was like, get outside and play. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other topic of free play, which is missing more and more these days. But um, that's what it was. It was we always played sports, whether it was organized or not. Um, and my dad was always one of our coaches. And being the older brother, I was always coming out to my younger brother's practices, demonstrating some drills, um, you know, and then really got into it. You know, as I was moving up, um, I was I was okay. I, I could kind of keep up with some good players. I, I was definitely a kid who didn't have a ton of swagger. That's for sure. Um, and I started getting into coaching because I just, every time we watch hockey together, it was always about becoming a student in the game. You know, this is before you could pause live TV, right? It was like commercial break, run to the bathroom, run to the fridge, grab a drink and get back. And, you know, outside of, you know, recording a, recording a game on VHS and, you know, getting in trouble for recording over something more important. Um, that was how you became a student of the game. And so at a young age, 15, 16 years old, my dad, uh, always involved in hockey, took a really low level Bantam team, Bantam C. And, uh, with my uncle, Mark, who's only seven years older than myself and 22 years younger than my dad. So they were a big family. And we, we coached together. Um, and what was great about that was I had no pro, I got to just coach. I got to throw out ideas. I got to try things. It didn't matter the level. My dad handled, my dad handled the parents, the team manager, all, all the stuff that I think a lot of young coaches sometimes when they start off, they so want to be that head coach that they don't understand that, especially in minor hockey, there's so much more stuff involved with the associations, the parents, the managers, the meetings and all that stuff that you don't actually get to work on your craft that you're so passionate about. And then from there, I, I coached, whether it be with my dad and uh, whether it be a, with a former coach of mine, uh, Stuart McCarthy, who's an assistant coach uh, with the McGill Martlets. Um, you know, and those guys were always the head, but they always gave me the opportunity to experiment and be creative and try different things while they handled everything else. And, and it also gave me time to make sure I went to school, you know, finished my university degree and all that type of stuff. And it allowed me to fail without having parents point the finger or vilify me. And, you know, without that, I don't build the foundation and getting to know really what I like, what I want, what I want to push, what I uh, what a tweak and all that type of stuff. And, and then uh, the one, I don't want to say the one, but one of the biggest breakouts, this will be a little name dropping, but when Dave King was with the Montreal Canadiens, this would have been in spring of 99. Um, my dad, <clears throat> one of the books my dad wrote was on Jean Beliveau. And so Mr. Beliveau was nice enough to set up a meeting uh, with myself and, and Dave King. And we spent four hours in his office and, I believe it was the April of 99 and we spent four or five hours just talking shop. And, um, you know, he, at the end of it, he was like, you're going to the Roger Nielsen coaching clinic. I spoke to Roger. He's got a spot waiting for you. And the, one of the biggest, biggest takeaways there was to continue to be a sponge, be ready to absorb in any environment. You don't know if you're going to cross paths with like a, a novice AAA coach who's done it for 30 years and just awesome to a Bantam coach to a diff, uh, a coach from a different sport and just keep absorbing and what you don't want or what you're not going to use anymore. You just, you just squeeze out and you just kind of formulate it and, and try to make it your own. And then from year there, it was getting involved with the lions in Oh three Oh four different ownership, Listen, I, I love working with the players. I was in my last year of university. It was a bit of a weird situation with the ownership group at that time, unfortunately. Uh, I went down a level, got to work with people I trusted again, and then uh, went back with the Lions, new ownership, people I trusted, went back as an assistant in 07, 08, and then got an opportunity to go to Lewiston with the Maniacs as a video coach, assistant coach, worked on skills and stuff with the guys, and then got an opportunity to come back with the Lions. Um, and then it's all about building relationships. I know it's something that's pretty easy to say. And, uh, but, you know, Dave King really, uh, you know, stirred the, 
or got the hamster spinning, if you will, that I knew I needed to get to conferences, but I knew I needed to start networking. When you're not the, you don't have that big playing background and you think about the early, late 90s, early 2000s, you're not, you're not posting anything on Instagram. You, you got to hit the pavement. So I started going to NHL drafts in 07 in Columbus. Luckily enough, sat right beside Brian Kilray on the airplane. Brian Killer was unbelievable to me. He didn't know me from a hole in the wall. He invited me to dinner. He invited me for drinks. Uh, from there, uh, we continued to stay in contact for the next few years. And, and then from there, it was just building relationships with a, a Benoit Gru, who's now in Syracuse. I've been able to go to their, uh, <clears throat> to their uh, training camp for two years, um, getting a chance to go to a development camp in Toronto uh, with the Leafs, getting to do a presentation and some videos for the coaches' site. And that just that stuff just grew and grew, but it it doesn't grow with either a the 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 relationships, the networking. But if you're not doing the work and also failing sometimes, you're you're not you're not succeeding. So that's what led me to, you know, ten years in a row with with the Lions and really building a, a solid foundation on what type of coach I want to be recognized as, and then getting an opportunity to jump into uh, uh, Quebec Major Junior League. There's a lot to take away from there. And um, the one thing that honestly stood out to me was right away when you talked about that free play idea outside and, and doing that stuff. And um, I've got a neighbor next door, Dustin Butel. You won't know that name, but he's a stud. And he uh, his kids are outside regardless of the weather. Like there'll be times like the tornado sirens are going off and his kids are out there playing. So I love that idea. Get outside and play, kids, the kids that are listening. Um Let's talk about, you, you touched on the Lions just a little bit and you, you led them for quite some time and you developed a ton of NHL hockey players. Can you tell us what made this program stand out and why it was so successful and, and is so successful? I think one of the biggest helps for sure, one of the biggest support aspects for myself was coming back from Lewiston, <clears throat> I had an opportunity to go be a head coach. But at the same time, it wasn't just like, here it is. It's yours. And that was like, I was supported by our GM, Erasmus Saltarelli, who had played at Princeton, played some, some, uh, uh, some time in the Chicago organization. Carl Swoboda, Peter Swoboda's brother, um, who's big on skill development. I mean, you ask around, I could go through the list of either Czech players like Jake Voracek and Yuri Hoodler to Chris Letang to Max Pacioretty to you know, plus all the former guys that we were working with that have all trained under Carl and, and with us as a group in the summertime, those guys came in and kind of set the table a little bit on what kind of program they wanted to, to have a continuation of development first of the individual, then think about the, the team play, so to speak. And so a guy like Carl would come on, especially in the first couple of years, would run a lot of our Monday practices. You know, we have that college type schedule play on the weekend, Monday through Thursday. So Mondays was kind of like that skill hockey day, uh, hockey school type of uh, setup. And then as, as we started evolving, we realized we needed more competitiveness in our, in our practices. So Tuesdays, which was a bit of an idea I took from Pete Carroll when he was at USC was Tuesdays is a full 70 to 80 minutes of battle drills. So within that, you are building, you're now applying your skills under pressure. You're now having to work on your hockey awareness. You are now working on your mental and physical fitness. And um, it was a struggle for the guys at the beginning. And at the end of the year, all exit meetings, it's their number one practice. They love it. They love going toe-to-toe with guys. They love the the different chaos type situations that we create from them uh, for them. And uh, so it was a lot of themes when it came to the practices. And the other part was that we did not put a heavy emphasis on the standings. Never did. I, I would, you know, you guys talk about having, you know, being number one in, in playoff wins for myself. If you look at regular season, it's a shade over 500, but it was always to have our teams really be jumping out, when it came to the playoffs. And so in those 10 years, we went to five finals. Unfortunately, we lose three, but we go to five finals. We go to six semifinals. And that's where I think a lot of our players got that exposure because, you know, you can look at skill guys 
you know, but when, when the chips are down, where are they when it's the competitive hockey? And that's what colleges want. We've had a lot of guys go NCAA and that's what um, uh, major junior teams want. And to be honest, what a lot of people don't realize is now you start getting to that level and the further along you go in the playoffs, now you start getting some of those amateur scouts in the NHL that cover some midget AAA like they do in, like they do in Toronto. They're covering that, you know, that great uh, midget minor league and they start building that database. And um, the, the other part to that though, is that without some of the exceptional players, not just the, the talent, but also the, the, the person, the, the people, they pushed myself, they pushed our staff to be better. So that it wasn't a, even though we had those themes from year to year in terms of practices, they pushed us to tweak things on a yearly basis, whether it be for the individual or for the group. And again, I think guys coming out of it really recognized that we were taking care of them as an individual. The reality is you have 20 guys. You're never going to have 20 fully satisfied customers, if you will. It's just a reality. Um, but I think for the majority, if we're being honest, those guys are still in contact, whether they're playing hockey. And we brought back a lot of alumni. And one of the other points, and it came out a couple of years ago, it was kind of quiet. We started a mentorship program. It was very quiet. So we have a kid like uh, Jeremy Davies, who was part of the PK Subban trade. He was a stud at Northeastern. He's now in uh, Milwaukee and now Nashville just brought him to be part of their group. And he, he was a guy that was kind of quiet, always kind of pushed aside. He started having some success, um, but we linked him with like a Mike Matheson. You know, a Jonathan Drouin would help out a Maxim Forte, who they both ended up playing for Halifax, um, and so on and so forth. So we were trying to pair up guys, not just with NHLers, and just build that, that communication. Because at the end of the day, listen, my wife gets sick of my voice. I get sick of my own voice. You can imagine the coaches get sick. Uh, the, the players sometimes get sick of hearing the coaches all the time. But to hear from guys that struggled in similar manners uh, that maybe were intimidated by approaching the coach and now getting to really touch base with guys that literally were there just a year or two or three prior to you and, realize, and, and helping those guys say, listen, go talk to the coach. Tell him this. Tell him that. Like, He's going to help you just because he's being tough. It's not about being tough on the person. It's about maybe being tough on the player and that mentorship program, bringing in those guys to help with our leaders in training camp, I believe built one of the biggest levels of trust that we could have ever built as opposed to trying to force feed them. And now to this day, myself or, or some of the other staff members, we're writing letters of recommendation for, you know, police academies, law school at Harvard, um, job applications. That's what it is. It's, it's not just, yes, it, it's awesome that we've had some guys go on to the NHL or, or be drafted, but the relationships have been way beyond the ice. I love that. I, I, you touched on a couple really important things there. I kind of wanted to, to circle back on, um, but the mentorship part, especially, let me come back to that in a second. Cause I want to follow up with that. But I mean, you, for the people listening, you know, the, Folk, your success, the first thing you mentioned is that you're, you're focusing on the individual first. And even what you were just talking about with the, the individual, you're developing a strong culture um, where the players are developing individually and it translates into team success. I see a lot of times at the youth hockey, that's a big message that a lot of coaches need to hear, I think, and that it's less about the team systems and the, the exact wins and losses throughout the season and, and so much more on and developing that strong individual, setting them up for success to, to move on. So I think that's a huge point you hit on. I love the point about the battle drills on Tuesdays. You know, I, I, you don't hear that too often about other coaches having like set theme days. I've heard of a couple doing that. We've done, we've tried, we've been playing with that a little bit on my team, but um, you know, battle drill Tuesdays, I, I can imagine that gets a, gets the kids fired up, but let's talk about that mentorship program a little bit. I think, you know, we've had a couple guests on this podcast that, you know, I've mentioned the importance of, of, of getting a mentor or, and, and being a mentor, you know, Al Bloomer mentioned that, uh, you know, you have, you need to have two, you have a two way mentorship, one that you push and one that you pull. And, um, but everything we've talked about on this podcast has been mentorships on the coaching side of the world. We haven't had anybody talk about mentorships from players before. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, 
you know, is that, can you explain, I mean, can you kind of dive into that a little bit more? Is that something that was like a, a, that you had seen work elsewhere? Or is it something you just wanted to experiment with? Is it something you're doing now in the, in, with your majors team? It was something that honestly evolved a little bit more organically. You know, the, the, the reality, like I said, there's some players that, and it has nothing, not necessarily always something to do with, um, their elite status, for example, um, has it been nice to be invited by some of my players to sit with them and their families during an NHL, NHL draft? Absolutely. But where it really started was in the summertime, you know, those, those guys that are going to junior and pro were always hanging around training with us right, right before say our first skate in midget AAA tryouts in August. So those guys were around. And then we had this, um, we wanted guys to not just earn their opportunity to be on the team, but earn the locker room, earn the right to be in that locker room. So in training camp, even if you were a returning guy, you weren't in the locker room. You were in one of the, the cookie cutter locker rooms down the hallway so that they understood that there were certain standards. But what would happen is they would see those guys that had played for us, the guys, maybe even some of the guys that hadn't played for us, and NHL guys, and they're in our locker room. And they would come and see us work with them and see how we'd get on the ice with them. And it was the same language, the same, like, same verbiage, same tone, same intensity, same teachings, same skill stuff. And I was like, I, don't, I didn't want the players to just cross paths with each other and the younger guys going, ooh, look at him, look at him. And it's like, feel like they're untouchable. So one of the situations that stuck out for me was Vinny LeCavalier had actually skated with us more full time one of his last years of playing when he was still with Philly. And I remember him being in the locker room and one of our returning player, uh, sorry, one of our players that just graduated the program, he was going to go on to play in the, in the CCHL and Vinny who I've known since we were little kids, just struck up a real basic conversation with the guy. And it just like, it was kind of like light bulb went on. I was like, why can't we do this a little bit more often? And I know that I could be very demanding. I know that also, whether it's the, like I said, that really strong midget minor league in, in Toronto or whether it's here, whether, whether it's any league really that has a, a bigger spotlight on it, the pressure is now... The pressures and the, the inaccurate expectations of a bunch of people who claim to be experts without expertise start putting all these pressures on the players. Oh, you need to go here. You need to go there. You need this agent. You need this. Uh, don't listen to your coach. Uh, this skill coach will help you in this. And, and now the kids are being pulled in all kinds of directions. And I saw that happen with uh, a lot of guys. So... Mike Matheson was the first guy I approached. I said, I got a defenseman. He's being pulled in all kinds of directions. He's quiet. <clears throat> Want to break that, uh, that bubble a little bit and hook them up by text message. And then I said, leave me out of it. If, if say Mikey feels that the kid is too shy to come approach me, he might say that, but it was almost like therapy, if you will, that it was, it was, it was up to them. Like it was up to them what they wanted to share with me or not share with me. And then it just evolved. And I, and I saw Jeremy Davies really break out because now he was in a position where he was drafted a major junior. Now colleges were getting interested. And then all of a sudden, a lot of colleges got interested. And now it was like, well, do I follow the easy path or do I stray and try to do something that is not as common by going to college and going to the USHL. And it wasn't that Mike Matheson was going to convince him what to do. It was just that Mike Matheson was going to share in his experiences and how he handled those things. And then from there, like I said, asking Joe to help out with a Fortier or asking a, a Neil Robinson who just finished four years at Holy Cross to help out a Justin Ruscovian who's now in the USHL. And it just, and it just built from there. And then when they would see each other for really that first time, that next first time in the summer, next thing you know, you saw a more of a in-person mentorship. 
Now guys were starting to train together in the gym. They were starting to skate together on the ice. And now a Mike Matheson can come slash Matheson, uh, Davies in the Cavs and say, hey, that's not good enough. That makes my job so much easier. As a coach, even in season, makes it so much easier. And then we would have former players come in, some that weren't even playing anymore, some that had won championships. And they would come in and speak of their experiences, especially when the team would struggle, especially when a team had a tough time managing the expectations of everybody else because that seeps into your locker room real quickly. And um, I've leaned on those guys, but in turn, they know that they could lean on me for whatever they need. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of the game. And I know I, I've coached some high school hockey down here in Minnesota and like that big brother, little brother thing, like kids hang on to that kind of stuff. And um, that, that relationship is something that does make a coach's job easier. And kind of like what you said in the beginning, like it allows you to hone in on other things and develop your craft and which is like in the long term going to be better for not only yourself, but your team. And so it's really cool that you're doing that. And it's interesting uh, the way you're doing it. Um, and it, so you just, you just wrapped up your, your season in the queue, kind of a weird season, obviously with the way the world is, but can you talk about what a typical week would look like, um, for your team this year before obviously things changed? Um, I don't think we had, and it's not to poke holes, uh, in your question. And before I get to it, cause I didn't completely answer Pete's question in Baycomo, we've started to try. The, the, the yeah. tough thing being in Baycomo, not a, lo- not a lot of local guys have played for the team. But, for example, we had one guy that was a young rookie, Felix Girard. He played – I can't remember if he played World Juniors, but I know he played U17, U18, heart and soul type captain. And he married a, 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 a young girl from, from Baycomo, so he spends his summers there. So I had him connect with our leadership group. Like, I needed to start formulating that connection. But now I think everybody's getting – so proficient in using zoom that there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Um, but, uh, now I'm, now I'm drawing a blank, of course. So (laughs) that's just, uh, just a typical, a typical week. What that looks like now in the queue. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I love those themes, but because we travel so much because our, our closest opponent is five hours away who we play 10 times in a year in Shikudami. Um, we don't have a lot of typical weeks. Like we have stuff that we want to work on, but we got to be able to adapt to the guys being tired. Let's be honest. It's a, you know, every junior season is a grind, but when you're outside of Cape Breton, we're the two teams that travel the most. And then there are those weeks where we're at home and now they've got to be at school physically a little bit more. So we're balancing all that, but you know, if I go early on, if we're just playing a weekend, <clears throat> weekend games that week, which didn't happen too often, yeah, it's going to be similar. It's going to be similar themes. If we're coming off road trip, a lot of times we're going to want to touch on those skills. We're going to touch on those skills. We're going to touch on some video. We make video accessible to them away from the arena as well. And I know this is a, an area that not all coaches are necessarily comfortable with, um, but I think also everybody's wondering why aren't players students of the game? Well, because they've grown up with every answer is one click away. Every, like you think about debating, like we could be here, pick a topic, let's debate. Most people now don't debate because the answer is one Google click away. I go to my dad. What does this word mean? When I was growing up, my office is right there. We've got 12 different dictionaries. Look it up yourself. Now they've got an app, click, click, they've got the answer. So it's the same thing with hockey. It's click, click, they got the highlight. You know, a couple clicks later, they've got the condensed game on the NHL app. So they're not, they're getting those snippets. So I started this in Midget and we started doing it here is making video available, but pertinent video, whether it's video of themselves, good or bad sometimes, and also connecting it to NHL play that, resembles what we're trying to accomplish and then also building like let's say one of you guys says i really respect how tj oshi plays awesome what do you respect about his game this 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 a lot of times 
where are they going to go to? They're going to go to the, the sexy skill stuff, his shootout abilities. Well, no problem. You're going to get a bit of that. Watch TJ Oshie on tracking. Watch TJ Oshie stick in the D zone, right? And so you build that. So we're building video so that we can build the interaction that I would turn around and say, hey, tomorrow, I want to hear what you thought of that video I sent you. So we're trying to build, because we have a small window at the rink. It's, they're in at 8.30. 8.35 is probably a team video for five minutes. They're warming up. We hit the ice. After, maybe some guys stay on extra. Maybe a couple guys get in the gym. But then they got to haul. They got to move their butt. See, I almost swore there. They got to move their butts to get to school. They got to move their butts to get to school. It's a longer winter up there. So it becomes it becomes a bit of a, a, a little bit more of a, a, a grind. And we as coaches have to understand that because it, it's, it's the same thing like on the themes. Like we could have battle drills, but in junior, we're not going to do 80 minutes. We might do 30 right. minutes. You know, um, as the year went on, we had to have very precise, intense, shorter practices. Because if not, they're standing around, they're wasting time, they're looking at the clock, and they're mumbling under their breath like, like, let's move on. So I think as the year went on, our typical weeks came with precise video meetings, precise, short, sweet, intense, looking to work on one to two things, not 12 things, one to two things, and then letting them go on their way. And it was a real... It was, a, it was a test for myself to really balance that part a little bit more versus having them on the ice for 70 to 80 minutes every time we practice. Yeah, I think you kind of led right into my, uh, what I was, was going to ask you was, was about the importance of the efficiency and planning in, in your practices because you're traveling so much, the kids have school, um, and, and you walked through exactly what, what I was going to ask Where you know, how are you taking advantage of that ice? How long are those ice practices? What are you guys focusing on? Um, but I want to dive into one, one thing beyond that. Cause I think, I think that's interesting. You know, a lot of people think more ice time, the better, but the reality is, is more and more higher level teams are, are taking advantage of, of very like, like distilling the practices down and being more efficient with that ice time versus getting the, the scale of longer ice time. So I, I like hearing a you know major junior coach saying that that you're taking advantage of the smaller ice slots, but you know I was online looking before before this interview I was doing a little bit of research and, and I, I found a couple you know articles on Coach Them uh, and and a bunch of videos from the coaches site that you had done and it seemed to me like the topic kind of always came back to generating offense and, and transitioning into offense. Um, so I don't know if that's like a, a hallmark of, of the way you like to coach or, or if that's just happens to be what I was finding online, but maybe if you could talk on some of the, your, your thoughts on transitioning and building offense with your teams and some of the, the strategies or habits that you try to instill in your players um, and how that message was either the same or, or different translating it from AAA to juniors. Um, it wasn't actually that different. If anything, um, I think we had some guys, especially early on, struggle because unfortunately, and you guys touched on it before, it's, and this isn't, this isn't to, to pick on minor hockey coaches. That's, that's, that's where I'm from. I, I've tried to work with a lot of coaches. Um, unfortunately, there, there have been, whether it be associations or certain coaches that concern themselves with banners. They concern themselves with um, just championships, standings, uh, all that fluff, so much fluff and no, no real meat on the bone, um, you know, content. And, and you look at words that sometimes are so overused, misused, but they haven't given the players any really substance are words like culture and process. And we say playing fast and the players are like, yeah, 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 I get it. But if you really ask them to break it down, they don't know. And it's, and that verbiage also, as you go down the levels, you have to understand that sometimes I'd be on the ice with my midget triple A's and the next morning I'd be on the ice with nine year olds and I would use a term and I'd be like, Whoa, what am I saying? Like, 
I can't use that terminology or that language with them. It's, you know, they're just going to nod because you're the coach. And <laughs> right. when it comes to offense, having worked with the guys that I work with, whether it be the players or the staff in Lac St. Louis, I realized that to my opinion is generating offense is way more difficult than being defensive. I, I have a strong belief that beyond hockey IQ and hockey awareness and what you can actually evolve and, and, and develop. I think there's a lot of science behind that and I'm, I haven't researched it all, but in terms of what I've experienced, teaching offense is more difficult than teaching someone to put their stick down on the ice in the D zone, to have a willingness to compete going back to that Tuesday practice to get the puck back. We wonder why guys aren't uh, falling in love with the defensive side of the game. It's because we haven't made practices competitive enough. Make those practices competitive enough because it goes back to what we talked about with free play. In free play, you stole the ball from me, I'm getting it back. You better be looking over your shoulder because I'm coming after you. But at the end of the game, guys had fun. They were sweating. They, they enjoyed it. In terms of offense, and again, because free play isn't there, they're not free to try things. I'm hearing Adam coaches, get it out, get it deep. Get it out, get it deep. I get that coach after the game, and I'll be like, stop that. Well, little Joey always wants a toe drag. Perfect. What do you mean perfect? If he does it too often, teach him when, how, or to be better at it. All he does right. is saucer passes. Yeah, and? Like, the reality is from, say, five to eight, there's fundamental skills. Every kind of three to two to three or three to four years, the fundamentals that these kids need to work on uh, evolve. So, like, what a pro's fundamentals are might be similar to a young kid's. They're more advanced. And we were just ta we're taking the puck out of their hands. We're taking the puck out of their hands. We're taking... The, the creativity and the fun part out of the game. So, you know, I'm not the one that coined this and you, we've all heard it. You know, the D zone is kind of that, that work zone, the, the, the grind zone. And then the offensive zone is the fun zone. But I think sometimes we forget that there's, there's got to be a grind in both and fun's got to be in both. For me, if you're not, if it's not fun to compete, if it's not fun to work hard or working hard isn't fun, then you will play rec hockey and that's okay. That's okay. You'll end up playing beer league hockey probably till you're 67 years old. And the sport was there for you, how you want to participate in it. Although when we start talking about, you know, another kind of poorly used term elite, uh, because that's been watered down. When we look at these levels and they're taking the puck out of the hand, they're taking the creativity out of their hands. Um, teaching offense is more difficult. And it was something that I wanted to bring uh, with me to Baycoma where the players didn't feel that it was so manufactured. And an example of that was in our first 13 to 15 games, our power play struggled mightily, mightily. It was like 8%. And I'm, my po the power play for myself is not about, is it a one, three, one? Is it a spread? Is it a overload? Is it a, is it the, whatever I saw recently on, on, on Instagram, it's concepts. It's about creating two on ones. It's about creating shot lanes, creating passing lanes to have bodies moving the puck moving. But if all of a sudden I'm in Danny's spot, well, I'm not going to come up to Danny and say, get out of my spot. There has to be exchange and they have to learn a little bit more of that spatial awareness to create those things. So we struggled. Like the guys were coming to me like, I think we need more black and white. And I go, I will simplify it a little bit, but you guys got to understand that I want to see you guys evolve. And as, as all of a sudden they started grasping it, not that they, they didn't just grasp it, all of a sudden something just broke through and the power play went like this. So we went from dead last to finishing third overall in the league. And after Christmas, we had actually traded away our captain. 
Gabriel Forte, who's NHL drafted Tampa Bay signed player to Moncton, uh, Xavier Bouchard, who's drafted by uh, Vegas. Uh, we tra- you know, we traded away some veteran guys and we had more youth on the power play with two European players with Nathan Legary, who's signed by Pittsburgh, drafted by Pittsburgh, 20 year old overager with Gabriel Pru. Uh, we tried five forwards for a bit and they started getting so comfortable with attacking off the faceoff. Boston's real good at that. Um, attacking off broken plays. And all of a sudden concepts was just like, now they were coming to me with ideas. And you really see that had they had a more of a basis of an understanding of fundamentals of offense growing up, maybe, maybe we would have hit the, hit the ice at a faster pace when it came to offense at the start of the season. But I just feel that we're taking the puck out of their hands. And I see it in novice. I see it in that. Get it out. Get it in. No passes in the middle of the ice. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Teach a kid to be an elite five-foot passer as much as an elite 20-foot passer, 30-foot passer. You know, a defenseman goes back for a puck. It's not about rimming it. It's look-skate decision. Now when you get to that third part, am I skating with it? Am I moving it to the inside, moving it to the outside? And you know what? On the boring part sometimes, sometimes, is sometimes you got to put it in an area to live to fight another day might put it in an area to compete and battle again, but we're taking the puck out of the kid's hands. And, and I think for the defensive part is if we really, if we really dig deep, I don't think there's many bad defensive players as we think. I think there's more lazy players, players that don't think it's sexy. And once they recognize how closely connected the two sides of the game are, those offensive guys will dial in. Those, those offensive guys, hockey sense guys, will end up on your PK. I love it. I think uh, you hit a ton of good spot. And that, that's been my kind of mission over the last couple of years is to get rid of these buzzwords and put some substance behind uh, coaching, especially in the youth world. Because I can remember time after time I'd come out off the ice and you know a coach would be like, you just need to create more space or that's not our culture or whatever it is. And it's like, I, don't, I have no idea what you mean. And so it's, it's taking the time to watch how Brad Marchand comes into the, to the, to the offensive zone, hits a fake delay, and then offenses of stick checks his way to some space. Like watch what that guy does to create time and space. He does probably 10 different ways in five shifts. And so like taking that video, bringing it on the ice, showing that, then repping it and then putting it into a drill and then using it into a battle drill uh, or a game or something like that, or free play, like that's what, coaching should look like and so now now it's not just hey create time and space it's hey create time and space by using an offensive stick rake or by using this or that like that these are substance behind those buzzwords and so that's been a huge mission so it's awesome to hear that you're not only doing that you're I mean you're living it every day and it's that kind of effort and these kind of conversations that are going to allow coaches to develop especially um, those younger uh, those youth hockey coaches. And so like, I mean, I can only imagine if at the high school, junior college, uh, major junior level, you're getting kids with a bag of tricks that already understand these types of this type of substance behind their game. Like now, now you're rocking and rolling and you can dive into things even deeper. And now as a hockey fan, the NHL is way more fun to watch because they're, they're doing those things that might not seem sexy, but yet TJ Oshie does it every single time he's in the D zone. And that's why that guy gets paid a lot of money to play hockey. And so let's, let's talk to those, those youth hockey players that want to make it to junior hockey or higher level. And um, what kind of advice would you give to these kids? So they could have something to hold on to and be like, okay, coach said, this is something to look at and try and do. And so you have any advice for those youth hockey players aspiring to, to be more? Well, the, the easy, uh, uh, the easy bumper sticker thing would be to say, embrace the grind, right? But what does that mean to right. a 10-year-old? So let's, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it down to their level. Like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall. Like, try stuff. It's, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to turn over the puck. It's not okay to quit. That, that, right. That's been with us. It's, 
in practices at any level, it's how many times we see a one-on-one drill, an open ice one-on-one drill kind of flow, and the forward gets it by the D, and the forward keeps going, and the D skates back in line. No, go all the way back. You're a race. You're racing in practice. The guy sees that he's going to lose the race. He's pulled the chute 20 feet out. No, Mm. it's okay to fail because the next time you don't lose that race by 20, you lose by 15, you lose by 10. And another one, and a lot of people haven't actually read the books like on a, on a, like a mindset by Carol Dweck on growth mindset. A lot of people talk about growth mindset. A lot of people see, uh, you know, a a meme about growth mindset, but they don't understand it because they haven't lived it and they don't truly, truly uh, bring that on a daily basis as coaches or, or even sometimes as parents is let your kid fail. Let your kid fall down, get up. Let your kid, let your kid be coached, but let your kid in one sport, maybe he's a third liner, maybe in another sport, he's, you know, a starter in soccer. Maybe I, I think that's where I think playing other sports will help with that aspect for sure is that and then there's some guys that are elite everywhere they go. But I, I think one of the most important parts is learn to fail. I mean, you've, a lot of people have seen Denzel Washington did the commencement speech where he talks about failing forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about, uh, I always forget and I feel bad, I think his last name was Coach Robichaud, who was a uh, Louisiana college baseball coach, unfortunately passed away. And he talks about work while you wait. Because when the door opens, if you haven't done the work, you're not ready for that opportunity. And so it's not about, well, give me a chance and give me a chance and you don't do the work. It's never going to happen. So embrace working your butts off. Have fun competing. Have, don't worry about failing. Don't worry. Literally, don't worry about the score. Don't worry if you showed up on the score sheet. Because some of the best players that I coached in midget, for example, the ones that became more successful, you know what their parents were, com- were most concerned with, which was so refreshing? And I learned this from them. I learned this from, you know, the Duclairs and, and the Mathesons and the Drouins and so on. Did my son compete? Did my son move the puck? Did my son play discipline hockey? It wasn't about... You scored three goals. Here's 20 bucks. Here's an iTunes card. Here's a new cell phone. I see. And, and this, so this message is to parent, uh, players, but it is also to parents. I've had a player who was a skilled guy. He, I found out a little later and I had to, I had to deal more with it personally with him. I would find out as his parents would confiscate his phone if he put up a weekend of no points. And now I'm trying to work with this kid to just be, a better teammate, move the puck, and all that type of stuff. It's okay to be a minus on the score sheet. Did you compete? It's okay to lose a game. Did you compete? You know, for parents, coaches, players would have to be a little older, a Bill Walsh book, the score will take care of itself. It's not about rules. It's about standards. It's about the standards that you bring on a daily basis. And, and I know, again, I'll bring it back to the 8, 10, 12, 15-year-old. Just go out and compete. Guy steals it from you. What do you do next? You lose the race. How much harder are you going to work the next time? Because if not, we're going to, we're going to breed a generation of quitters. And I'm not late. This isn't about a Gen Z or millennial thing. Forget those labels. This is about competing in a sport that you are passionate about. I love it. I know uh, Heater loved your answer there. You know, his, his project hockey is his uh, off ice training program he's got and the, the tagline, the theme and the kind of motivation is all do the work. So I know he's, uh, he's eating it up. Exactly. He, he fired up <laughs> seeing the seeing the same, it's the same thing. So I think that's fantastic advice for a young player out there. Hopefully uh, many, many players that listen to this will heed that advice and, and help them both on and off the ice, um, you know, in the game and away from the game. Now let's switch over to coaches. Uh, can you give a little advice on, on coaches um, and, and it's kind of a two-part question, but how, how can coaches help prepare their players for success? I, I have a feeling I know what you're gonna, you're gonna, how you're going to answer this. But then also after that, if you could touch on your advice for coaches that aspire to, to, 
to jump up and, and climb that coaching ladder. And you kind of touched at this in the beginning, but yeah, if you could extend some advice to, to minor coaches or youth coaches on how to help prepare their players for advancement and also their own careers uh, in hockey advancement. Well, trust, trust is a tricky thing, right? You know, uh, confidence, trust, um, you know, there's many other words that are, again, sometimes misused or have no substance behind. And, you know, confidence isn't a, a, a bag of tricks. The coach comes up like fairy dust and sprinkles on you and you go ahead, right? Mm-hmm. Like it goes that'd back nice. to what that'd I just... would be nice though. Would be. Uh, but it kind of goes, it, fin- it, it kind of finishes off what I was saying earlier about, you know, confidence is putting in the work, like studying for an exam. You go into that exam, you're confident. You did the work. You know, you went to the extra uh, tutorial sessions with your teacher and so on and so forth. But for a coach, trust is a tricky thing. And... The day and age of you showed up to the rink and coach says jump and you say how high, it's different. Why? Again, players need to know the why. The purpose behind what you present nowadays is so important. So, for example, you're explaining a drill and you add the purpose. That doesn't mean you spend 20 minutes explaining one drill, but you add the purpose behind it. You go to what you said, Danny, about the – Marshawn, what he does on his own entry. I mean, how many times are we going to hear this? Skate wide with the puck. Skate wide with the puck. Right. <laughs> like, I almost swore again because it drives me nuts. Kid enters the zone. Yeah. All he looks for is a pass. Everybody in the stands is yelling, pass the puck. The coaches are yelling, pass the puck. And at this point, he hasn't gained an advantage on anyone. In fact, he might have even skated into the Zamboni driver in the corner who's eating <laughs> a, co- a popcorn and having a coffee because all he did was skate wide. Like that stuff's got to stop. You want to build trust. The players, for for some quotes, I I, I get uh, sometimes a little overboard, but but this one holds true. I, I tweak it for players. It's a Teddy Roosevelt quote. Players don't care how much you know until they know you care. And if they know that you are taking care of them as a person and as a player, that means safe environment fun environment, competitive environment, a growth mindset environment. Now you don't have to tell nine-year-olds you have a growth mindset environment, but Mm -hmm. they, they will feel it in every, by everything you say, the drills that you propose, the way you teach, the way you have your staff teach um, by letting maybe sometimes your assistant coach run a drill while you're doing some individual teaching and correction and, or maybe, you know, some people's, some people don't like that you correct, but some guidance on the ice. And that's how you build the trust. When you start doing that, wins will come. And you know what? Sometimes you don't have the talent. And I've coached that spring team that barely won a game one summer and the parents are all freaking out. And I said, hey, I told you from day one, you guys came to me because you said you wanted development. For me, the tournaments are are their opportunity, their canvas to paint their picture. Everything else has been an opportunity to work on those scales, work on those strokes, right? Now that the games, hey, if you're losing your mind going to six games uh, when it's 40 degrees outside, 40 degrees Celsius, right? I'm north of of you guys. And sometimes I would say, you know, hockey can ruin a beautiful summer day. Then, Then you're in it for the wrong reason. We have to understand that as minor hockey coaches, if we aren't improving them, if they're leaving us at the end of the year and they haven't gotten better, um, sometimes that falls on the player. Sometimes that falls on a lack of trust from uh, the player's entourage. They all have an entourage now. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, we've provided this for the individual – and now this individual feels more compelled to play for the team. To say, got to be all in just for the team. Like that, that approach doesn't jive the way it did when I was growing up. Like you got to be a all, 100% all in team guy, da, 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 da. You go to school, yeah, you have classmates, but you're working on yourself. That's what they understand. They understand that individual aspect so they need to feel that they're being taken care of as an individual and then they really build that connection yeah there might be buddies 
But if the, you want them to really compete, play as a team, you got to take care of the individual. And that's that tricky part about trust. You want them to trust you? Well, you got to, as a coach, we have to earn it as well. It, it can't be just, trust me, I'm the head coach. Yeah, and what did you do to earn to be a novice B coach and wherever or a Adam double A coach or a Wee double A coach or triple A coach that, that stuff of slamming down your Stanley cup ring in the room and saying, listen to me, I've been there, done that. That might work for a week, but it, it, it doesn't have the substance for them to say, I trust that this, this coach, man or woman, this coach is going to help me become a better hockey player and help inspire not give confidence, inspire me to, to want to work hard. We had, uh, I've brought this up before, but we had um, a U.S. Olympian, Lindsey Fry, and her advice to youth coaches was make sure 100% of your kids, like especially at that might, that lower level, like 100% of your kids want to come back the next season. Like that's huge. That shows that you built that trust with, with them. You inspired them to keep going. And so, I don't know. I love, I love what she said there. And um, this has been an unbelievable conversation. And before we get a big let's go from it, is there any kind of final words that you want to say to our listeners or, or anything that uh, you might have missed that you want to touch on before we start to wrap this up? Well, I think it's just, uh, I think biggest thing for, for parents, because it'll actually help players is managing the expectations, you know, like mm -hmm. just, it, it doesn't make you a less lesser of a parent because um, you you try to let your 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 son or daughter figure it out a little bit. You know, we I, I joke sometimes that imagine if hockey rinks or or any you know the soccer pitch was built like an aquarium where the parent could kind of just tap on the glass but could have no real interaction. Well, the fi the fish still figure out how to swim. They still know when the food is there where to go to get it, like. We got we to gotta let them be a little bit, you know, let them fall off their bike and, and get up and, you know, they got to scrape knee and all that type of stuff. But I think if we can help manage expectations, I think the retention rate in our sport will be higher. I think, um, and, it, and it doesn't matter, like I said, elite or not, it's the players will stay in the game a lot more. They'll have a, um, uh, a better connection long-term with the game. Um, for players, like I said, you know, uh, as much as we've talked about skill in this and that, at the end of the day, don't also look to balance skills with actually playing the game, you know, because sometimes I've actually seen kids that they look, like I say, Instagram sexy skill, and then they have a breakaway and they've open hip, faded off into the corner looking for a saucer pass. And it's like, hey, Joey, you had a breakaway, you know, like, so we, we still everything is about balance, balance those expectations, balance the skills with team play, balancing the trust and earning trust. That's for coaches, players, and parents. And I think, and, and whether it's, you know, also a little bit of that, not a little bit, but bringing even more diversity to our game, whether it be male or female, you know, I've been working with Hillary Knight and em Emily Falzer. Emily Falzer married uh, Mike Matheson and I got to know Hillary Knight she was playing for the pro team here in Montreal. And I know that working with Hillary, who's let, let's call it the way it is. Hillary's a, on, on pace for being a hockey hall of famer, right? It is obvious. Her platform's unbelievable, but dealing with one of the best players to have ever played her sport and her humility. When I speak to her, I come out of it better. And it might not necessarily be a better drill or a better X's and O's, I know I'm coming out of it better. And I think that that diversity for myself has been huge for me in the last couple of years, building that connection and that relationship as well. So again, manage those expectations, embrace the failing, embrace the grind, work while you wait. Um, you know, trust is definitely a two way street and it's got to be earned by everybody. And I think we, we, we got to, balance that fun and compete on a daily basis. I love, I mean, competition is huge. And I think you do build that through allowing kids to fail. Like it's okay to lose and know that you lost. And so, um, and Hillary Knight, not only on pace to be a hall of famer, but 
arguably the greatest born American hockey player. Like if you start to think about, uh, I mean, I'm throwing in guys in the mix too. Like what she's done for her sport is right up there with what Patrick Kane's done and Mike Madonna's done. And so it's, it's pretty cool to see, to hear that she's not only getting it done on the ice, but she's doing the right things off the ice. And so it's really cool to hear that kind of stuff. But we, we loved having you on a uh, big part that we like to do at the end is, is have our, our guests say, let's go. Um, uh, if you wouldn't mind, you can get it as into it as you want or, uh, but if we could just get a cool, uh, let's go, that'd be awesome. Let's go. I'll awesome. do one in French. I'll do one in French for you guys. Perfect. Vazi. <laughs> Vazi. Oh, wow. I love you it. Got to get that dialed up. <laughs> that awesome. awesome, John. Thank you so much for coming on. It was uh, it was our pleasure speaking with you today. I think you dropped a ton of great uh, knowledge, experience, and advice for the players, parents, and coaches listening out there. So for that, I, I thank you, and uh, I hope I hope we are able to cross paths sometime in the future here too. So thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, best of luck next season. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Huge thanks to Coach John Goins of the Bay Como Dracar, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That's a mouthful, but uh, <laughs> I think that was a <laughs> I think that was a really cool interview. I think that John's got uh, he's got a lot of experience on, on, under his belt. You know, he's an, a very interesting coach to me because he's uh, he's a student of the game. You know, he's not a guy that came up you know under his own admission he didn't go and play high levels on his own um he came up and has reached high levels through hard work and study and dissecting the game and, and learning how to be a good solid successful coach so i think a guy like that is someone that uh can can offer a lot in the form of, of helping other coaches out there at all different levels and trying to become better so i think that was a pretty cool uh insight into into what he does with his players both formerly at the AAA level and now at the major junior level so uh danny what do you say do you want to you want to get into the three stars tonight absolutely um it off for us it's huge uh Thanks again, Coach, for jumping on. Um, obviously, the Quebec Major Junior League it's turned out players like Sidney Crosby. Uh, he's having an okay career. So it's good to get get guys on this podcast and girls on this podcast who do do hockey at a high level. That makes sense. Uh, third, star. I just love that, how he's a student of the game and he's, he's learning from other people. He talked about being a sponge, and I, I love that he talked about development first and then team stuff because – Without that development side, without the the players with that skill and that that foundation, the team stuff won't even matter. And so, third star, I, I really enjoyed that. Second star um, was his mindset with his players. Honestly, after talking with him and then a few emails that he sent after, like this guy's a character. Yeah, and he, he seems like a guy that I would love to play for. And he talked about not being tough on the person, but being tough on the player because there's two different relationships there, right? You have the person, then you have the player. And uh, that person, you need to have a super uh, well-laid foundation type of relationship. And then if you are going to be tough, you need to specifically look at what you're being tough on and it should be the player and, and what they're doing with inside of their skill and their system. And so I love that mindset. And like I said, he's, he's a guy I'd love to love to play for and run through a couple brick walls, but um First star coach, what do you got? Yeah, I'll, I'll double back real quick. I, that what you just mentioned there being tough on the player and, and not on the person uh, is such a, a, a fine nuance that I think is an important piece of coaching that, that I think, you know, coaches might overlook. So I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a really a huge takeaway. I think from this episode, uh, first star tonight, I mentioned it in the, uh, the intro, I'm a huge fan of what he has done and, and the way that he, he implemented a true development program in the form of a mentorship program in his, his hockey clubs. And you're talking about developing not only a solid hockey player, but just developing solid people in the, in the kids that he's coaching. And you know, when he talks about bringing in his, his older players to skate with the kids and get the guys to become, you know, have a personal relationship with them. And all of a sudden you got guidance where a kid who's, you know, 16, 17, looking at trying to make some big life altering decisions. And they've got, you know, someone to look up to who's been there and done that. And they've been in their exact same shoes just a couple years earlier and can give some guidance and say, Hey, here's what I did. And here's what I, I think 
not necessarily you should do, but things that you should consider. And I think that that is such a huge piece. And I, it really impressed me because I just haven't heard people talk about that before. And I know it goes on here and there in, in different ways and shapes and forms, but you know, the, the older I've gotten, the more and more kind of uh, value I put into mentorships, both, um, you know, in, in looking back in the, in the people that have come before me and have helped me in my path and, you know, hopefully what I can do going forward and, and helping some younger coaches as well. Cause I feel like I'm kind of like in the middle ground right now. And, uh, yeah. So the way that John, uh, has described what he has done was super impressive to me. So I think that's our first start tonight is, is taking advantage of those players that have come before in a program and how can their experience and personal relationship with the younger players, um, benefit those players, you know, and that, that it doesn't have to be a major junior to a triple A level. It could be like a Bantam to a squirt, you know, or a high school, a high school, a local high school club to their, their might or squirt or peewee program. Sure. You know, there's yeah. a lot of different ways that can be implemented. And I think that's a huge takeaway from today's episode. Absolutely. I think, um, well, I know that, I mean, this guy gets it and he's going to be around this game for a long, long time. And Hopefully the Quebec Major Junior League looks a lot like it did last year before kind of this pandemic hits and we can get back to hockey for for all those those kids and those coaches. And again, Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you have any questions for Coach, if you want to reach out to him, his info is going to be in the show notes below. But also, if you, if you have any other questions you want to ask him, let us know and we can, we can definitely connect and get some answers to that because this guy's a, a hockey knowledge book and he's learning every day. And what else you got, Coach? I think that's it uh, for us today. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, I never knew I would do this, but I'm now I'm a huge Bay Como fan. Let's if go. I pick, uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, the Quebec Major Junior League is a long ways away from where I live, and so I'm, it's not something I see every day. But I'll tell you what, yeah. I'm getting on. Uh, I'm going to start streaming some Bay Como games next season and see what's going on, see John in action. So. Um, but that's all I've got for today. I think we wrap this thing up. We've got, uh, Vin's going to jump in here and, and give us some notes from the sponsors. Um, so that's, that's all I've got. You got, uh, you got any last messages there, Danny? Nope. Keep showing us some love and we'll, we'll keep getting these awesome interviews for everybody. So in the meantime, keep it up and let's go. And that is another episode of the let's go hockey podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another week of the show. This is producer Vinny, here to shut out the show with you. Another huge thanks to John Goyans for coming on. Uh, hopefully, everybody out there enjoyed this one, especially the coaches. Really a lot to absorb from this interview. So thanks again to him. I'm sure we'll be seeing him again on the podcast sometime soon. And finally, we want to thank our wonderful sponsor, HockeyWolf.com. For anybody out there who hasn't visited HockeyWolf.com and you're listening to this podcast, do yourself a favor, get on your phone or get on your laptop, type in H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com to your favorite internet browser and go check them out. Their website is very easy to use, very user-friendly, and for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, make sure you look at their team sales options. It looks good when the team is matching. Maybe get your team a new set of gloves, maybe some nice matching helmets, a new set of shells, any of that stuff, they can do it for you, some custom pucks. They'll do it all. So visit HockeyWolf.com today and get yourself some new gear. All right, that's going to do it for the show this week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time.